Our Bible reading this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped round Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told him that he had said these things to her. This is the word of our God. Amen. Delighted that Desi Alexander is going to um, preach our sermon for us this morning. So over to you, Desi. You're very welcome. Thank you, Trish, for the invitation. Uh, It's always a privilege to uh, speak in Fitzroy. Uh, I only wish that the circumstances leading up to this had been different. Um, Like uh, all of you, my deepest sympathy goes out to Janice and Steve, uh, to Caitlin 
and Jasmine following the death of Janice's dad, Brian. Uh, We'll miss seeing him on a Sunday morning. As Christians, we believe that death, which comes to all of us, is but a temporary parting. We believe this because Jesus is the one who brings resurrection life. We have a resurrection hope that's firmly grounded in him. And in the light of Brian's parting, it seemed appropriate this morning to focus on the theme of resurrection. So as we turn to consider this passage from John chapter 20 that we've read together, let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures that are the word of life to us. And we pray that as we turn to them this morning, you might speak to us by your spirit. May we see them afresh and may we be encouraged in our faith and trust in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We've all heard the idiom, uh, seeing is believing. However, this is actually only part of the original proverb. Um, The full quotation comes in a book of proverbs collected by a man, a doctor, Thomas Fuller back in 1734. The original quotation is, seeing is believing, but feeling is the truth. Um, Perhaps today we might reword this, seeing is believing, but touching is the truth. As you'll appreciate, this quotation is based upon the events recorded in John 20. Uh, particularly the events to do with Thomas and the resurrected Jesus. Seeing and believing and touching are important components of the Apostle John's account. The Apostle John is full of surprises. There's something very creative about him. He doesn't go with the crowd. He's happy to break with tradition. He likes to be perhaps a little subversive. Just look at how his account of the life of Jesus differs from those of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's not part of what's known as the synoptic crowd. He goes his own way. And we are the richer for it. When it comes to describing the life of Jesus, John focuses on big themes. He spells them out in the clearest of language. Why does he write his gospel? He tells us. Jesus performed many other things, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, 
which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. For John, it's about seeing the signs and then believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the promised king. And through believing comes life, eternal life. And don't we see this summarized in perhaps the best known verse from John's gospel? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John's account of the life of Jesus is set out in a very different way to the other Gospels. We see this in the role that women play within his account. Our reading reveals how John focuses on the resurrection of Jesus by seeing it through the experience of Mary Magdalene. While John himself, he's kind of the, the, the person that gets referred to but without using his name, the other disciple. While John himself appears in the passage, as does Simon Peter, they take second place to Mary. Given the stature of Peter and John as apostles within the early church, the focus on Mary is striking. It's not what you expect. This is not the first time that John has given prominence to women within his gospel. Right at the heart of his narrative, he draws attention to two sisters, Mary and Martha as they grieve over the death of their brother Lazarus. Once more, John is countercultural. If you're familiar with the, with the synoptic gospels, the other gospels, and how they speak of Mary and uh, Martha, you'll know that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus while her sister Martha worked away in the kitchen. Martha appears to come off second best in that story. Mary appears to be the spiritual one. Yet, in John's account of Jesus bringing Lazarus back to life, Martha is highly significant. Look at what John writes. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Do you hear Martha's words? I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. This is what John wants all of us to believe. It's why he writes his gospel. Martha is spot on. She hits the target. In the synoptic gospels, the other gospels, Peter's confession of Jesus as the Messiah gets pride of place. Not so in John. Martha is the first to confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But we shouldn't forget about Mary. Um, It's not a competition. Had we time to read on in John 12, we would witness the remarkable devotion that Mary shows to Jesus after he brings her dead brother to life. As John records, Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This was expensive perfume. It was worth thousands of pounds in today's prices. What a display of love towards Jesus. It's not romantic love, but it is affectionate love from a woman who truly appreciates Jesus for all that he is. John places Martha and Mary at the center of an important resurrection story in the middle of his gospel. So it's perhaps no surprise that John should reveal to us the resurrection of Jesus through the experience of another woman, Mary Magdalene. According to the other gospels, she's not the only woman to come to the tomb on the Sunday morning. Yet, she's the one that John picks out. It's her experience that he describes. She's the primary witness. She's the first to see the risen Christ. As John presents his case for the resurrection of Jesus, he draws attention to various strands of evidence. Look with me briefly at the passage. In verse 1, we see through Mary's eyes 
that the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the tomb. This was unexpected. The tomb should have been closed over with a large circular stone. Hopefully you'll get an example of one of those. Yeah, coming up, good. Um, this, is, this is a tomb from the time of Jesus, and you can see there, hopefully you can make out the, the circular stone that would be used to close the entrance. Then in verse 5, John himself gives testimony to the strips of linen lying in the tomb. These strips would have been wound round the body. Then in verses 6 and 7, through Peter's eyes, we once more see the linen strips lying, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. John notes that the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. What John describes is the clothing that surrounded Jesus when he was placed in the tomb. Now, there is no corpse, no body inside the clothing. At this point in the narrative, John says that he himself saw and believed. Seeing is believing. Yet, interestingly, he immediately adds, they, that is John and Peter, still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So far, John has provided evidence of an empty tomb and of grave clothes lacking a body. But these items alone are not sufficient to prove that Jesus has been raised to life. Even Mary didn't necessarily think at this point that Jesus was alive. Yet her testimony will change this. Her experience of the risen Jesus will be the first of many. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul writes, Jesus appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. It's no surprise that Mary is slow to recognize Jesus as she stands weeping outside the tomb. A man approaches her. She presumes that he's the gardener. It's only when he speaks her name that she suddenly realizes that it's Jesus. It must have been a highly emotional moment for Mary. Little wonder that she wants to take hold of Jesus. There's no uh, social distancing here. 
Like finding a long-lost friend, Mary embraces Jesus. Why would it be otherwise? Yet Jesus says to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus indicates that he cannot remain with her or the disciples indefinitely. His ascension to heaven is necessary to ensure eternal life for his followers. John's gospel doesn't explain the importance of Jesus' ascension. For this, you need to turn to the book of Hebrews. There, the author makes the important point that the sacrificial offering must be presented to the Father in the heavenly sanctuary. This is necessary for the process of atonement to be completed. Without the ascension, Jesus' mission of bringing eternal life would not be finished. His self-offering, his sacrificial death on the cross is only fully completed when he enters the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus dissuades Mary from clinging to him. He cannot remain with her. She, however, must go to the disciples and tell them that Jesus is in the process of ascending to heaven. Importantly, he will appear to others, giving them reason to believe. John records how the resurrected Jesus encourages doubting Thomas to touch him. For seeing is believing, but feeling is the truth. For John and the other disciples, the resurrection of Jesus is a reality. It's central to what they believe. Jesus is the source of eternal life because he has suffered and died and been raised to life. With good reason, the Apostle Paul writes, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, everything that's happened here this morning is pointless. The resurrection of Jesus is at the heart of what we believe. You and I can only see the resurrected Jesus through the testimony of others. 
Jesus recognized this. And so he said to those who saw his resurrected body, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We may not be able to have Mary's experience, but through her testimony and that of the gospel writers, we too can see the risen Christ. And as we focus on our risen Lord, ascended to heaven, we discover that he alone is the source of abundant life both for the present world and for the world to come. As today we remember the passing of Janice's dad and of others who've left us, let us find comfort and reassurance for ourselves in the fact that we serve a resurrected and eternally living Savior, someone who offered his life for us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you thankful for your willingness to go to the cross in our place, to die that we might be forgiven. We're thankful that most of all, you are not a dead savior, but a living resurrected one. And we pray that you might help us day by day to nourish our lives on the knowledge that you are the source of life. Your death brings us life. May that reassure us and comfort us and help us in our day-to-day living. In your name we pray. Amen.